Welcome to Happy Trails, the podcast for trail riders. This is episode two, all about Southern Arizona trail riding. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jess. I travel with my horses full time. We moved from camp to camp following good weather and good riding. My partner Byron and I began this grand adventure in June of 2018. At that time, we were really excited to hit the road and start exploring the country. We spent that summer in New England, but knew that we wanted to escape the wet northeast winters for good. Growing up around hunter-jumpers, I was aware that Florida was a common destination for Easterners in the winter, but it wasn't until I started researching our new full-time lifestyle that I found out how common recreational snowbirding is with horses. In case you're unfamiliar with the term, snowbird is the name for a category of people who migrate to warmer regions for winter. Florida and Arizona are the two most popular states that draw equestrian snowbirds. We ended up choosing Arizona because it offers rock climbing, our other hobby, whereas Florida does not. There are tons of horse camps and guest ranches in Arizona, and people flock to them from all over North America. Camps are spread out all over the state, with each having its own unique feel. We chose to stay at Hay Creek Ranch in Oracle, just outside of Tucson. It's very close to Mount Lemmon, which has tons of rock climbing, so we were really excited to go there. While at Hay Creek, we met lots of folks, some full-timers and some vacationers. I recently asked my friend Jan from British Columbia, Canada, how she ended up snowbirding in Arizona. Uh, It was my husband uh, got thinking about it, and we decided, we went down the first year. We just took five days and just flew down and had a look. And we went to Wickenburg, Arizona, and we fell in love with the area. So then went down the following year and it was wonderful. The weather was awesome and uh, we met a lot of good folks from all over. And uh, so we thought, yeah, this is the thing to do to really shorten up the winter is to, to head south. We were pretty naive that first winter and had expectations of desert heat and cactus. We found the cactus, but discovered pretty quickly that Oracle was not going to be hot. It rained and even snowed a few times over the three months that we camped there. Luckily, most days were sunny and comfortable in light layers. This ended up being our first lesson in the importance of elevation when choosing a place to camp. Oracle happens to be over 4,500 feet in elevation, which didn't seem like a lot to us at first, but it actually is. It was always 10 to 15 degrees colder than in neighboring Tucson, which is at only 2,300 feet. Initially, we were disappointed that we hadn't managed to escape the cold successfully, but the landscape made up for it and began to draw us in. Camp was located on a ridge on the east side of the Catalina Mountains. It looked out over a wide valley towards the Galliuro Mountains, which would light up in the most intense reds and pinks every evening in the setting sun. Desert sunsets are still one of my favorite things about Arizona. The riding that's available out of Hay Creek is limited only by how far you want to go. Literally, you could ride all the way to the Grand Canyon if you wanted, because the Arizona Trail runs along the Catalina Mountains there. The Arizona Trail is a continuous 800-mile trail that runs the length of the state from the border with Mexico all the way up to Utah. The terrain in Oracle varies from deep sandy washes in the flatlands to narrow, pretty rugged trails winding along the ridgeline with intimidating drop-offs. There's something for every rider and every horse, no matter what your ability. Just don't underestimate the rocks and cacti. Seriously, those suckers are brutal. I have never encountered sharper, pointier rocks anywhere, 
And it's not just an oracle. Any mountain in Arizona is going to have a lot of rock. Hoof protection, either boots or shoes, is really important for any mountain trails. There are over 50 species of cacti in Arizona, from towering saguaros with their multiple arms that grow over hundreds of years, to the completely spineless Barbary fig cactus. The most notorious is the dreaded jumping choya cactus. It gets its name because the plant's made up of chains of segmented fruits with hooked barbs that detach really easily from the main plant. Just a light brush against the spines will allow them to hang on, making you feel like they jumped onto you from out of nowhere. The segments are commonly blown off the mother plant and lie in wait on the ground to be picked up by your horse's fetlock as you go down the trail. The choya inflict varying levels of discomfort. My horses tend to ignore one or two embedded segments as long as they aren't in tender areas. Other horses may not be so stoic, and I've heard stories of terrible wrecks caused by run-ins with choya. It's good practice to keep an eye out and give them a wide berth. I'm always on the alert when we're in choya country. If your horse starts acting up, don't get angry or panic. Just assume that they've got a choya somewhere. Dismount and remove it as quickly as possible. They're pretty tough to get out because all of the tiny barbs hold them on like really strong Velcro. So the best way to get rid of them is to use a toothed comb to get between the cactus and your horse's skin and pull it out with one quick jerk. I carry a medium-toothed handled dog grooming comb in my saddlebags just for this purpose. I also keep a multi-tool with pliers on me for pulling out individual spines. Aside from the choya, barrel cacti are the next most important to avoid. They have long, thick, hooked barbs that are very difficult to remove and continue to migrate inward after breaking off. A puncture from this cactus usually results in swelling and lameness, requiring veterinary attention to remove. It didn't get the name horse crippler cactus for nothing. Prickly pear is another common cactus in the southwest, and although it's lower on the scale of threatening varieties, you should still keep an eye out for it. It has large, paddle-shaped branches with tons of tiny spines. Depending on the trail you're riding and how thickly infested it is, your horse's pasterns, ankles, and cannons may be covered in prickly pear by the end of the ride. Needle-nose pliers will come in handy for their removal. Sometimes the barbs are shorter than the hair or blend in because they're the same color as your horse's hair. So I found that running my fingers up the leg very gently against the grain of the hair helped find them so I could pluck them out. After hearing this, you might be thinking, I'll just put some splint boots on my horse for protection. And that's a valid thought, but there are two things to consider before you do it. First, most splint boots are usually made out of neoprene, and that'll allow the cactus barbs to stick and possibly migrate into the material, continually poking your horse every time they wear those boots. Second, if the boot pushes up against a barb that's embedded in your horse's leg, it might cause it to break off, and then you'll have very little chance of removing it. This will lead to lots of pain for your horse and possibly infection. So think hard about whether or not your horse actually needs support boots for riding, and if you do decide to use them, go with ones that are made out of leather. Cacti aren't the only plants to worry about. Most shrubs in the Arizona desert have thorns either gigantic stabby things or what seems like thousands of tiny razor blades. There's actually a bush called wait a minute because when it snags you, you can't move on until detaching yourself. A plant called cat claw ended up being my nemesis. It's responsible for many scars and torn pieces of clothing. I absolutely hate it. After my first few rides in Arizona, I discovered that many trail riders do indeed need those chinks or chaps that they're wearing and it's not just a fashion statement here. Many newcomers to the desert are nervous about rattlesnakes, and it's a valid concern, 
but if you're only visiting in winter, your chances of encountering a snake are pretty slim. They hibernate in the winter and generally only come out when it starts to get hot. But regardless, it's a good idea to keep an eye and an ear out for them just in case. The trails and scenery in Arizona are gorgeous and really stimulating. Riding there was made even more interesting by the history of the places we visited. There are historic sites of infamous gun battles, abandoned gold mines, and ancient petroglyphs carved by Native Americans. One place we enjoyed riding in Oracle was the Hijinks Ranch. It's a gold mine that was once owned by Buffalo Bill Cody. On another trail near camp, you can visit a matate, which is a bowl used for grinding grain carved into a large boulder by Native American peoples. There are signs of Native American habitation all over the desert here, and it's really interesting to see. Our favorite ride out of Hay Creek Ranch was the Apache Peak Trail. It's a 12-mile round-trip loop that climbs up the Oracle Ridge through Pepper Sauce Canyon. There's a really interesting cave in the canyon that we explored on another day, and I recommend you go check it out. Bring a headlamp and don't be intimidated by the little bit of crawling you need to do at the entrance. It's really worth it. Anyway, after climbing out of Pepper Sauce Canyon, you join up with the Arizona Trail and follow it along the ridge around Apache Peak. At over 6,000 feet, this single-track trail gives you an incredible view of the Oro Valley, Catalina State Park, and the Biosphere 2, which is a local environmental attraction that's a huge dome in the middle of the desert. This trail is not for the faint of heart. It's very exposed with sloping hillsides that drop off into the valley, but the views are absolutely incredible. There's enough riding out of Hay Creek to keep you busy for a long time, but if you like exploring nearby areas, you can trailer out to Oracle State Park, which is just down the road. Here, you'll find trails that are more sandy than rocky. It's great for moving out. There are a few hills to climb that give you a nice view of the valley, and the Arizona Trail runs through the park too. Catalina State Park is another great riding destination. It's just outside of Tucson on the way to Oracle. There's a small horse camp in the park that has corrals. You can also just stop here for day riding as well. We rode the trails here last April, which happened to be during the super bloom. That's what they call the spring after a particularly wet winter when all of the desert plants bloom. It was incredibly beautiful. It made me appreciate those obnoxious cacti that I spent all winter hating. Saguaro National Park is another option in the Tucson area. The park is divided into two sections. Saguaro West is the most popular with trail riders. We haven't had a chance to ride there yet, but my friend Demara Mullins, a trail rider from California, told me to put it on my list. When she visits, she likes to stay at a horse motel called Rocking M Ranch. And I um, can ride directly and ride out of camp so I don't have to trailer and do the all the great cactus cactus forest, you know? It's, it's a whole different kind of forest. Demera has a Facebook group called Horse Poor Forever's Camping and Trail Adventures, where she posts photos and information about all of the great trail riding she's done. I'll be speaking with her again when we do an episode about California. Following our stay in Oracle, we moved south to Tombstone, Arizona. We camped at the Tombstone Livery Stable for about a month. We really enjoyed the desert there. The trails weren't as challenging as in Oracle, but there were all kinds of interesting things to see. Mines, caves petroglyphs, and ruins of old homesteads. Of course, Tombstone itself is packed with history and lots of things to do and see. The town allows horses on their streets, which is pretty unique. You can hitch your horse outside of Big Nose Kate's saloon and go have a drink if you like. 
Just beware that a horse-drawn stagecoach makes its rounds all day and mock gunfights occur on the hour, not to mention the town is packed with tourists who may or may not be horse-savvy. Use common sense if you venture into town with your horse. Early morning, before all the activity starts, is the best time to ride in and snap a quick picture in front of the OK Corral. We went into town and had a few whiskeys at the historic bars, but preferred to stop at the Tombstone Monument Ranch after a trail ride. The horses got to relax at their hitching post while we watched from inside the saloon, sipping delicious margaritas. And then it was just a short two-mile trip through the desert to get back to the livery stable. Cochise Stronghold is really close to Tombstone, and we trailered over there a few times to either ride or climb. The Stronghold is a historic site in the Dragoon Mountains, part of the Coronado National Forest. Its granite domes, boulder piles, and sheer cliffs made for a great hiding place for the Chiricahua Apache and their chief Cochise in the 1800s. Today, hikers and rock climbers flock to the park. Trail riders can access the Cochise Indian Trail from either the west or east side of the mountain. We rode it from the east side. There's a nice horse trailer parking area to stage from. Unfortunately, there's no overnight camping allowed here. However, dispersed camping is allowed off of the National Forest Service Road that hangs a right just before you enter the park boundary, but we haven't camped there personally. The trail up to the divide between east and west stronghold is only about three miles. We ended up turning around at the peak of the divide, but you could certainly go from one side to the other and back in a day. It would be a very long day, though. There are some really tricky sections that'll slow down all but the surest trail horse, and people have been seriously injured here, so make sure you take your time. The rock formations in the stronghold are really beautiful, and the view of Tombstone from up high on the divide is nice. We really enjoyed our ride there. I wrote a detailed blog post about that ride, which you can find on rideclimb.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you're looking for camping in this area, I think the dispersed camping options are better on the west side of the Kochi stronghold because there are many sandy forest service roads that break off into grassy areas. And on the west side, you're close enough to pop into Tombstone for dinner or sightseeing. I saw a few horse trailers there on some of our climbing forays. One time we were making our way up a large multi-pitch wall when I noticed a rider passing under us ponying a second horse. A little while later, when we were 100 feet higher, I saw a loose horse trotting down the trail. Less than two minutes later, the rider came following, alert and scanning the grasslands looking for the horse. I couldn't help but chuckle and feel empathetic, wishing that I could tell him I saw it heading back to the trailers. While living in Tombstone, we took a weekend trip over to Sonoida, Arizona for an endurance ride. The ride's base camp was located on Empire Ranch, a historic cattle ranch surrounded by 42,000 acres of rolling grassland. The land is public, overseen by the Bureau of Land Management. Horseback riding is allowed all throughout the preserve. You can also disperse camp in established sites off of the dirt roads throughout the preserve. The ranch is a historic landmark and offers docent-led tours of the headquarters building. Just west of Sonoida, you'll find the Arizona Trail again. There's some great riding in this area. We rode a section of the Arizona Trail from the Apache Springs Trailhead to Kentucky Camp and back. There are plenty of forest service roads in this area of the Coronado National Forest that provide access to the Arizona Trail. Dispersed camping along them is very common and you'll find lots of options. Just be aware that this area is extremely popular. You'll encounter hikers, bikers, ATVs, and possibly even shooters. Hunting is allowed and target shooting is a common pastime for the locals in this area. Unfortunately, we had a run-in with some irresponsible shooters here. We rounded a bend in the trail and came upon two guys in the bed of a pickup truck firing a 50 caliber rifle at a target placed only a few feet on the opposite side of the trail. 
This was on a Saturday afternoon, and there were many trail users out, including a troop of Boy Scouts on a backpacking trip. These guys let off a shot when we were no more than 50 yards away, startling both us and our horses. We yelled at them to get their attention and make sure they saw us before we moved any further. We attempted to calmly explain why this location was a poor choice for target shooting, but they didn't seem to care. We were upset and pretty rattled, so we got the heck out of there as quickly as possible. I tried calling the ranger station to report this unsafe behavior, but had no luck reaching anybody. So we finally resorted to calling the local sheriff's office just to make them aware of the situation. I certainly didn't want it on my conscience if someone got hurt when it could have possibly been prevented. The sheriff's office told me that it was legal for them to be shooting in the National Forest, and they couldn't do anything until an actual law was broken. This was incredibly frustrating, and it upset us that no one seemed to care that trail users, especially little kids, were being put in danger by this reckless behavior. I don't know if there's a solution to this situation other than education for gun users. We ran into lots of gun owners in Arizona. Actually, it seems like just about everyone there carries a weapon. And aside from the two yahoos with the rifle in the bed of the pickup truck, everyone we encountered handled their weapons responsibly. So hopefully this kind of incident is a rarity. One other spot in southern Arizona that's on a lot of people's bucket lists is the Chiricahua National Monument. This park is known as a wonderland of rocks. It was created to protect the rhyolite rock pinnacles that are sometimes hundreds of feet tall balancing on narrow bases, making them look like they'll topple over in a stiff breeze. The photos I've seen make it look incredible, and I really hope that we get there to ride one day. Horse trailer parking is located near Faraway Ranch. It's the original home of the Swedish immigrants who settled there on the 160-acre homestead in the 1880s. From the parking lot, the trails head up into the monument. As you might imagine, you'll encounter lots of rock. The trails were actually designed for horseback travel, but some are very rugged. It would be wise to only bring experienced horses and riders here. The Upper Rhyolite Canyon Trail is known to be the steepest and narrowest trail in the park. So if you venture over there, you should know what you're getting into. And you and your horse should be comfortable in all kinds of situations, especially with drop-offs. Masai Point is a popular landmark to ride to. It's an overlook that allows you to see the landscape of the entire park. Horse camping is not allowed within the monument boundaries. However, dispersed camping is allowed in the nearby Coronado National Forest. If you prefer to camp with corrals and RV hookups, consider Lazy Horse Ranch in Pierce. It's only a 45-minute drive away. Arizona is a diverse state with varying terrain and climates. The riding is beautiful and challenging. This was just a small sampling of the riding that's available. In fact, there's so much to talk about that I decided to break it up into multiple episodes. I plan to cover the rest of Arizona in the future. Do you have a favorite place to ride in northern or central Arizona? If so, I'd love to hear about it. You can email me at jess at rideclimb.com. Over at rideclimb.com, you'll find our blog about living the full-time horse nomad life with stories of our adventures. Traveling and camping with horses requires lots of planning. I've gathered tons of information on places to camp with horses, and I want to share that too. So we just launched a map on the website that'll give you locations and information about horse camps all over North America. I hope it helps you plan for your next riding vacation. You can find it at rideclimb.com map. I'll include a link to that and all of the other places we've discussed today in the show notes. Tune in next time when I speak with Kathy Burns, who overcame personal trauma by immersing herself in nature while traveling the country, camping, and riding. She's the author of Schlepp, 
Finding Healing on Horseback in the Lower 48 States. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy trails! The Happy Trails podcast was created and produced by me, Jessica Isbrecht. The show's music was written and performed by Jason Shaw. 